Well, if you're new with us, you're joining us in the midst of a series called Cultivate, in which we've been looking at uh, the fruit of the Spirit and how those are produced in our lives. And you've heard me say, if you've been with us um, over the course of the last several weeks, uh, that there's a difference between a morally restrained life and a supernaturally changed life. One works from the outside in, the other works from the inside out. And what we've been looking at over the course of the last several months together is how this inside-out kind of change gets produced in the life of someone who's come to faith in Jesus. Um, We've talked about several different analogies and illustrations of how that works, and I'll give you another one this morning. Um, When we look at um, if if one of our children or if you uh, were to become sick with a particular bacterial infection that had invaded your body, uh, you couldn't treat the, the infection with... Sudafed. You couldn't treat the infection with Advil. You couldn't treat the infection with cough medicine. You'd have to treat the infection, if it was serious enough and lasting enough, with an antibiotic. Why? Because that cough medicine or the Sudafed or the, or the ibuprofen, the ibuprofen might get rid of the fever and the cough medicine might uh, deter the cough and the Sudafed might dry up the runny nose. But unless you deal with the source of those symptoms, then you're continuing to fight a losing battle. And there are many folks who have maybe been in the church all their lives, and they've been fighting this losing battle all their lives because they think they're trying to continually clean up the symptoms, those things that are coming out, when they don't realize they never really treated the infection. Because the Bible is really clear that there's an infection in all of our souls when we're born, and it's called sin, and it's called the flesh, and it's called us doing things the way that we want to do them, when we want to do them, and how we want to do them, setting ourselves up in the place of God. And that is the infection that all of us are born with, and ultimately what flows out of that are symptoms. And many of us try and clean up all the symptoms and never really address the source of the infection. But what the Apostle Paul says in uh, Galatians chapter 5 is he says the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, when the Spirit moves in upon our conversion, when we come to faith in Jesus, things begin to happen internally that begin to treat that infection. And so as you treat the infection, then the symptoms progressively dry up as well. And so the way that spiritual growth and the way that spiritual change happens in our lives, that supernatural change occurs, is not from the outside in, but it's from the inside out. And the way that it happens, Paul tells us even in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, is by beholding, beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, and we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul says the way that this transformation, the way this change from the inside out happens is as the Spirit does his work, as we're beholding the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the way inside-out kind of transformation happens. So this beholding essentially is the antibiotic that we're taking for the rest of our lives to treat the infection of sin that continues to fester even after our conversion. And we're beholding and beholding and beholding every day as we wake up and we put our faces in the Bible. We're beholding the beauty and glory of Jesus, not just looking for laws and rules to externally change our behavior. Every week when we gather in service, my aim and my goal is not just to stand up here and give you more things on your to-do list to go do, but to help you behold and see the beauty and glory of Jesus, which then begins to transform as the Spirit does his work from the inside out. And every month, from, as we gather and receive the Lord's table, we remember 
the broken body and shed blood of our Lord. And as we behold the beauty and glory of Jesus, the Spirit begins to do his work and things begin to change inside. And that produces change outside. The Bible is pretty clear on this issue all across the board. It's not a morally restrained life that God wants for us, but a supernaturally changed life that God wants for us. And one of the marks of a supernaturally changed life, one of the marks of a life that's been beholding the glory and beauty of Jesus, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, is the fruit of faithfulness. A faithfulness. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. So this morning, we want to dig into what is that faithfulness that's a mark of a life that's been beholding the beauty and glory of Jesus, not trying to change from the outside in, but experiencing change from the inside out. What is the kind of faithfulness the Apostle Paul describes in Galatians 5.22? Let me give you a brief definition of what it is. When Paul talks about faithfulness in Galatians 5.22, in essence, he's talking about the virtue of dependability under pressure. Faithfulness is the virtue of dependability under pressure. When you look that word up in all the Greek dictionaries, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a definition that says something like this. The state of being someone in whom confidence can be placed. Trustworthiness, dependability, or faithfulness. The quality of being true, trustworthy, and reliable in all of one's dealings with others. Being true, trustworthy, and reliable in all of one's dealings with others, no matter what kind of pressure we may be under. Dependability is holding to your commitments, keeping your promises, maintaining fidelity, maintaining loyalty, maintaining reliability, even under pressure. Even under pressure. And so here's what this means. This kind of faithfulness the Apostle Paul's talking about isn't contingent, isn't built upon, isn't determined by our feelings. I don't know about you, but whenever I wake up in the morning, some mornings, Monday morning, I might feel a little differently than I did Sunday morning or I feel differently than I did Tuesday morning of last week. Our feelings can shift and, and change from day to day. But this faithfulness, even as our feelings shift and change, faithfulness is not a solid ground. Our feelings are not a solid ground upon which to build our faithfulness or our promise keeping, maintaining loyalty. So it's not built upon feelings because feelings can shift. And if our feelings shift from day to day, then our commitments shift from day to day. If your faithfulness is built on how you feel today or yesterday or tomorrow, then your commitments, your promises, your fidelity, your reliability, your dependability is going to be all over the map. It's going to be like a roller coaster up one day and down in the valley the next. So our faithfulness isn't contingent or built upon our feelings. And true faithfulness, the Apostle Paul is describing here, is faithfulness that maintains steadiness even under pressure. Because for a lot of us, whenever pressure comes in the context of a relationship, maybe in the context of a marital relationship that we've been in for years and years and years, or in the context of a friendship that we've been in for years and years and years, or in the context of raising our children as we seek to invest in them, in the context of those relationships, when the pressure gets dialed up, because maybe we've been going through a season of difficulty with our kids, or maybe we've been going through a season of difficulty with our spouse, when the pressure gets dialed up in our lives, we have a tendency at times to change colors don't we? Kind of like a chameleon in a particular environment, whenever they might change from brown to green, depending upon the environment that they're in and the stress that their body feels and that biochemical reaction that causes them to change colors. 
naturally, by our nature, we're like chameleons, and we'll shift from day to day. We'll change colors from day to day. Our loyalties and allegiances, our commitments and promises will ebb and flow from day to day. But what Paul is talking about here is that regardless of how much external pressure that we are under, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that's produced as we behold the glory of Jesus is this is the stable, bedrock, rock-solid faithfulness, dependability. No matter how we feel in the morning, and no matter what kind of pressure we are under, no matter what kind of stressors we may be experiencing at the given moment, there's a faithfulness that endures. There's a faithfulness that lasts. There's a faithfulness that transcends and goes beyond. So we don't go AWOL, right? Those of you who come up in a military environment, you don't go absent without leave when the pressure gets dialed up or whenever your feelings recede, but rather you maintain fidelity, you maintain faithfulness. No matter the stress, no matter how you feel. You might even say this kind of faithfulness is maintained even in the face of opposition. Right? Because we don't go from one day saying, yeah, I'm committed to going this direction, and then kind of like Jerry Jones, right? If, you, if you're familiar with the Cowboys at all, okay, uh, the last person to get Jerry Jones's ear is the person who's made the decision for him, right? With the, mo- the last person to get his ear with the most compelling evidence is the person who made the decision for him. So he may be thinking, today we're going to draft this guy, and then tonight as he sits down with his team, they go, no, we need to draft this guy. And so the m- next day he's like, we're drafting that guy, right? He kind of fl- flip-flops back and forth. Right? And so even under varying opinions and differences and disagreements, faithfulness continues to move forward on the settled conviction to stay faithful to where you feel God has called you and what God is leading you to do. That's the kind of faithfulness the Apostle Paul is describing here. Now, there's, there's something it's very important okay, for us to understand that without this kind of faithfulness in our lives, Without this kind of faithfulness, because there are some people who say, you know what, if I'm going to make a commitment, if I'm going to make a covenant or a promise, and I'm going to adhere to that, regardless of the external pressures, regardless of the opposition or disagreements, and regardless of how I feel on a given morning when I wake up, then it's restricting my choices, right? It's kind of reining me in, and I don't have as many options out there any longer, whenever things get challenging, whenever things get difficult. In other words, I can't go figure out who I am. I'm kind of locked in this box that's going to determine who I am. But in reality, all throughout human history, all throughout human history, the promises and commitments and pledges and covenants that people have entered into have always determined who they are. Always determined who they are. And in fact, when those covenants are broken and those promises are abandoned, what typically happens is people are left wondering who they are. See, without this kind of faithfulness in our lives, without this kind of faithfulness, this is why you need it, because without it, you don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. Look, I did singles ministry in a church for eight years, another local church in our context, for eight years. And I came across people who had all kinds of stories as they sat in my office or in a coffee shop or in different places. But inevitably, almost every single one of those stories of someone who went through a very painful experience in their life, who went through a divorce, and whether they were the person who was the offending party or they were the offended party in that context, 
almost exclusively with every story of someone coming back to the church after they had gone out for the last year or two trying to figure out now who they were. Because they knew who they were in the context of that covenant commitment that they had made. And now that that had been dissolved and disbanded, they were trying to discover who they were again. And so what they did is they, they went out and they, they dated like serial daters, okay? They dated one person this week, the next person the next week. They went month to month in relationships. They just kind of bounced around from relationship to relationship to relationship, trying to figure out who they were. Because they didn't know any longer. And it wasn't just the people who had been sinned against in those contexts, but most often it was the people who had been the one to break covenant with the other, to commit adultery, to abandon their spouse. Those were the ones who partied and lived it up because they were trying to determine, who am I now? I no longer have these covenants and commitments that define my life, and I'm not sure who I am. There's a Jewish philosopher named Hannah Arndt. She said this about our faithfulness, about our commitment. She said, without being bound to the fulfillment of our promises, we would never be able to keep our identity. We'd be condemned to wander helplessly without direction in the darkness of each person's heart, caught up in all the heart's contradictions and equivocalities. Here's what she's saying is this. She's saying that there are going to be things deep down inside where you go, is this the real me? Or is this the real me? And they seem to be in contradiction to each other. And there are days in which one is making an argument that is equal to the other. And she says, without, without faithfulness, without dependability, without promise keeping in our lives, without moving forward, even when there's disagreement and opposition to what our settled conviction is, without that faithfulness, you lose sight of who you are. Because one day, your person A, the next day your person B, the next day your person C. One day you have this particular political conviction, the next day you have another political conviction, one day you have a particular moral conviction, the next day you have another moral conviction because you have no covenant-keeping and no promise-keeping mechanism in your life to help you continue to move forward and know who you are. You lose your identity. You lose your identity. So faithfulness is that virtue of dependability, even under pressure and without it, you're kind of adrift on the sea. You don't really know who you are. But this faithfulness isn't just an abstract concept that's kind of out there somewhere in our minds. It's a very concrete reality that gets expressed in all the realities of our lives. And so here's, let's consider this morning a couple of areas that this gets expressed in our lives. So that faithfulness is seen. Where do you see it? Faithfulness is seen both in word and deed in our lives. In word and deed. I want you to consider um, how faithfulness is expressed or shown or seen in our words for a moment this morning. Faithfulness in the context of our words, at least at one level, it looks like Honesty. It looks like honesty. Maintaining commitment looks like honesty. Maintaining covenant looks like honesty with others. The Proverbs 12, says this, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. Who are truthful. Another proverb, 11, 1, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. 
And it would seem that in the Proverbs, those two particular verses, one speaking of more of the personal realm and one more of the professional realm. In other words, in my personal life and in my professional life, there's going to be an honesty about me, so I'm not going to be a different person in one conversation than I am in another conversation. I'm not going to have one conviction in front of one group of people and another conviction in front of another group of people. There's going to be a faithfulness to maintain my convictions and continue to live in accordance with those no matter who's around me in my personal life and no matter who's around me in my professional life. To be faithful in word looks like honesty. I'm going to speak the truth with others about myself and about them. It looks like honesty. But not only is it expressed in our words, it's also expressed in our deeds. Faithfulness in the context of deeds looks like diligence and finishing what we started. Proverbs 10.26 says this, As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a slugger to those who send him. In other words, the author of the Proverbs saying this, he's saying it's painful and frustrating to try and depend upon someone who is lazy and doesn't do what they've been commissioned to do, what they've been sent to do. You ever found that to be true in your own life, in your professional world or in your personal world, right? When you've got an employee and you give them instructions and you give them coaching and you ask them to carry out a particular task and and the Bible calls these individuals who refuse to do those things or do not do those things sluggards. There's a laziness about them. Maybe you coach them and give them all the resources they need to do it, but they just don't accomplish it. It is frustrating and painful to try and depend upon someone who is undependable. It's frustrating and painful to try and and, and rely upon someone who is unfaithful in our professional life, also in our personal life. To be faithful indeed looks like diligence. Looks like diligence, finishing, following through, doing what we've committed to do. That would be reliable, dependable, trustworthy, regardless of the pressure, regardless of our feelings, and regardless of the opposition. Let's talk about a couple of areas where this kind of even gets drilled down a little bit further than just generally our words and generally our deeds. This kind of faithfulness in word and deed gets expressed in the context of relationships and in the context of ministry. In the context of relationships and in the context of ministry, um, faithfulness in the context of relationships, it looks like loyalty, whether that be in platonic friendships that we have or whether it be in romantic relationships with a spouse. It looks like loyalty and fidelity. Faithfulness in the context of, of, of friendships and relationships looks like loyalty. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. In other words, loyalty in the context of someone else's suffering, loyalty in the context of someone else's challenges, loyalty in the context of someone else's difficulties, that we don't abandon them to be crushed under the weight of their circumstances or their situations, but we step up underneath it with them, and we're loyal to them, even in the face of hardship and affliction and challenge in our friendships. See, some of you teenagers in here, some of you students in here, this is one of the things you need to recognize is what God is calling you to, the faithfulness that he desires for you. 
is that you would be the kind of students in your school that didn't turn their back on their friends whenever their friends started facing difficulties and challenges at home or in, at, in school. But rather, rather than turning your back, you'd have their back and you'd stand with them. Right? So when somebody else, somebody begins to become the butt of everyone's jokes, you would say, no, that's not right. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to love you in the midst of that. I'm going to take up for you. I'm going to be loyal in the context of that friendship. Even if everyone else turns on you, I'm going to be loyal to you. It looks like loyalty in the context of friendships. It looks like loyalty in the context um, not just of, and it's not loyalty in the sense that it kind of blind to the truth, because the Proverbs also tell us in Proverbs 27, 6, the kisses of an enemy may be profuse, but the faithful are the wounds of a friend. In other words, how do you know if somebody's really loyal to you? How do you know if they're really faithful in your life? It's because they don't just always tell you what you want to hear. Sometimes they tell you the things that you don't want to hear. <laughs> right? Many are the kisses of an enemy. Someone who doesn't care about you, someone who maybe perhaps would even stand against you, they're going to build you up and they're going to, to speak with all kinds of flowery words and be all kinds of encouraging. Even whenever you're kind of moving down a path that's going to be destructive in your life, they're never going to stand in that path and say, if you continue down that road, this is what's coming. The, pro- the, the author of the Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And the enemy's going to kiss you all day long, but a friend at times will take the sword and he'll run you through with it because he loves you. He's loyal to you and he sees what's coming even whenever you don't. It looks like loyalty in the context of platonic friendships. It also looks like loyalty in the context of marital covenants. looks like loyalty in the context of marital covenants. Now, I know there are folks in the room this morning And in your past, there have been times in which you have stepped off of that loyal path. And I'm not here this morning to beat you up. I'm not here this morning to, you know, dump coals on your head. I'm not here this morning to try and tear you down. I'm here this morning to say, listen, you have an opportunity that stands before you today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year to continue to move forward in faithfulness and continue to move forward now in loyalty in the context of your marital covenant. Not from the outside in because it's the right thing to do, but from the inside out because you're beholding the beauty and glory of Jesus. My hope for us as a church and the families within our church is that there would be faithfulness and fidelity between husbands and wives. That a wife would be able to look at her husband and depend upon her, or depend upon him, and, 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 and vice versa. There'd be a dependability about our spouses. There'd be a reliability in our homes. I don't want to see, I don't want to see families shipwrecked on the rocks because they lack faithfulness, because they lack fidelity and loyalty in the context of a marital covenant. But not only does this kind of dependability get really fleshed out in the context of our relationships, but it also really gets fleshed out in the context of our ministries. The Apostle Paul 
writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he says, This is how one should regard us, speaking of himself and those who are ministering with him, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Be found trustworthy. Now, Paul, you might say, well, even some of you might object. You might say, well, Paul's just talking about pastors and teachers and preachers here who are stewarding the mysteries of God. Well, let me just say this. Pastors and teachers and preachers may have a particular gift wherewith they steward those mysteries. But the reality that the Bible speaks to is that there's every, every Christian in the life of the church, God is endowed with a gift. Are you a faithful steward of the gift that God has endowed you with? Are you faithful in your ministry? For some of us this morning, that might look like actually stepping forward and beginning to engage in ministry. For some of us, that might look like actually being dependable in the ministry that we've engaged in and signed up for. So that on Sunday mornings, we don't, no one shows up and says, oh, well, where's... Where are they? We didn't get a call. We didn't get a text. We didn't get a phone call. We didn't get an email. They just didn't show. And we recognize there are emergencies that take place in people's lives. We recognize there's going to be sick kids, and there's going to be flat tires, and there's going to be late nights. We get that. But one of the things that faithfulness looks like, even in the context of that pressure, is to shoot off a text or shoot off an email or make a quick phone call. So one, we can know how to pray for you, but also so we can help fill your spot. So ministry can continue forward. Are you a faithful steward of the gift that God's given you by stepping into and being dependable in those ministries that you've stepped into? This is the kind of fruit that Paul's speaking of here. And so let me close by asking this question. How is this fruit cultivated in our lives? How is this kind of dependability, this kind of loyalty, this kind of reliability in the context of our relationships, in word and deed, in the context of our ministries, in the context of our homes, in the context of our classmates? How is this cultivated in our lives? Remember we said earlier, it's not by sheer force of willpower from the outside in but it's from the inside out. And here's how it happens. It happens whenever you and I begin to behold the one who is faithful to the faithless. The one who has been faithful to the faithless. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, a young pastor in the church, in this perhaps uh, hymn that was sung in the early church, says these words. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Now, where do we see God not denying himself and maintaining his commitment and keeping promises and demonstrating faithfulness to those that he entered into covenant relationship with? Where do you see that? Where do you see it? You see it at the cross. You see it at the cross. Let me take you backwards before we go forwards a little bit. In Genesis chapter 15, God has come to Abraham, and God's made pledges and promises and commitments to Abraham. He's going to give Abraham a land, and his offspring a land, and he's going to give Abraham and his a seed, offspring, and children that are going to be born to him. He makes these 
pledges and commitments and covenants to Abraham. And Abraham's going, you know what, my wife and I, we are getting a little old here. Even for the biblical era, in order to have a child, where's this kid going to come from? We've tried our own particular way of producing an offspring. We still don't have a full bloodline offspring, God. Where's it going to come from? In Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham and enacts a covenant with him pledges to him, makes a commitment to Abraham, a promise to Abraham. And he seals that promise with a particular ritual that they undergo. God said, Abraham says, Where, how am I going to know that I'm going to receive this offspring? How am I going to know that we're going to have this land? And God says, here's how you're going to know, Abraham. Here's how you're going to know. I want you to go grab some animals. He gives them some specific animals to go track down. And he says, I want you to bring them here before me. And I want you to take the sword and the knife to those animals. And I want you to split them in half. And I want you to lay one half of the animal on this side of the path and the other half of the animal on this side of the path. Now, you might look at that and go, that's a little strange, right? It's a little more than a signature on a piece of paper, on a contract, right? But that was the way that they, a very common practice of instituting covenants in Abraham's day, where if there was a covenant to be instituted between equal parties, they would cut these animals in half and line the paths with them, and then each party would walk through, indicating, be it done unto me. In other words, look at these animals around you, and you see what's happened to them. They've lost their life and been torn to pieces. Be it done unto me. If I fail to uphold the covenant that we're entering into today, in other words, may I be torn in two, may I be split in pieces. So if it was two equal parties, they'd both walk through. If it was a greater with a king and a lesser with a vassal, many times it was the vassal who walked through because the king didn't need anything from the vassal. The vassal needed everything from the king. And so the vassal would pass through, be it done unto me if I fail to uphold my obligations in this covenant. May I be split in two. So Abraham sets up the arrangement, and he cuts the animals, and he lines the path. And then as the evening falls and it becomes dark, Abraham falls into a deep sleep along the side of the path, and God shows up. And God shows up as a smoking pot and a fire torch, as the representations of God and the Bible tells us in Genesis 15 that God himself passes through. But the interesting thing is Abraham never passes through. Never. So what's going on there in Genesis chapter 15? The greater is passing through, not the lesser. What is God saying? Here's what God is saying to Abraham and to all of Abraham's offspring. God is saying, be it done unto me. Be it done unto me, should I fail to bless you as I've promised to bless you. Be it done unto me. May I be torn into pieces if I ever, if I ever fail to bless you the way that I've promised to bless you, Abraham. And so God passes through, not only for himself, but notice Abraham never passes through. God passes through for Abraham as well. And what God is saying is saying, listen, if I fail to uphold my end of the covenant, be it done unto me. And Abraham, if you and your offspring fail to uphold their obligations of the covenant, be it done unto me. And then the history of Israel unfolds. 
century after century after century of a people who are Abraham's offspring, who are turning from God, turning from God like that roller coaster ride. There's all kinds of ups and all kinds of downs. But they continue to demonstrate their faithfulness, their unfaithfulness, and God continues to demonstrate his faithfulness until one day the promise that God makes in Genesis 15 would be fulfilled. When you read in Mark 14, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's on his knees in prayer, and his disciples are with him. And Jesus, under the most intense pressure anyone could ever experience because the wrath of God against sin is about to fall on him, and Jesus is pleading with his Father, if there's any other way that we can accomplish this whole redemption of humanity thing, let's go with plan B. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And Jesus is under such intense pressure that he's sweating drops of blood as he prays. And then the Roman guards would come and arrest him. And he would go through a trial and he would be scourged insofar as flesh and bone would be ripped from his back. And he would be led up a hill and nails would be driven through his hands and nails would be driven through his feet. And he would be hung on a cross where he would die a criminal's death. In Genesis 15, God said, may I be torn into pieces if I ever fail to bless you. In fact, I will be torn into pieces. I will be torn into pieces, Abraham, if I ever fail to bless you or you ever fail to respond with your obligations of the covenant. And it shows time and time again that Abraham and his offspring have been faithless. And so what is God? He is faithful. Insofar as he himself gets torn to pieces because we, Paul tells us in Romans 4, that the offspring of Abraham are not those who just share his ethnicity, but those who share his faith. That was counted to him as righteousness in Genesis 15, 6. As we have demonstrated faithlessness, God demonstrated faithfulness. And he was torn to pieces on account of our lack of loyalty, on account of our lack of fidelity, on account of our lack of promise keeping. He was, he was torn to pieces for us. And if you behold that, and you see the one who is faithful even to us in our faithlessness. And you continue to look in the Bible and you continue to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God as a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God who would die rather than bless his people or not bless his people. As you behold that, it begins to change you not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And you become a person who is dependable. You become a person who is loyal. You become a person who is trustworthy as the Spirit bears his fruit in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we come today giving you thanks for your mercy and grace and kindness to us that we never, did not deserve, that we could never earn and Father, we confess our faithlessness, but we rejoice in your faithfulness. And I pray that as we rejoice in your faithfulness, being torn into for us, that we would become a people who are more faithful, people who are more loyal and trustworthy. 
We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.